Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Desi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I will do the Patreon shout-outs. If you would like to subscribe to our Patreon, you can do that over at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. It's the beginning of the month. It's a great time to subscribe. And as always, I will put a link in the show notes. So it's very easy for you to just click and subscribe. So what do you get when you subscribe to Patreon? You might be asking. You get ad-free episodes. You get bonus content. You get after show. You get access to our Discord. You get episodes of Mystery and the Macabre. And you get movie club recaps. We recap lots of different movies. There's two new ones up right now. So you can enjoy those. Who is enjoying those right now? Christine, Maisie, Sabrina, Smooth, Alicia, Paige, Norma, Claudia, Greg, Jones, Levicious, uh, Mercedes, Nicole, Patricio, Gracie, Laura, Lucy, Liz, Camille, Erica, Kennedy, Anne, Aircrew, Molly, Karen, Mandy, Sarah, Cillian, Rebecca, Willie, Billy, Zed, Jamila, Jill, Kate, Jennifer, Grace, Bethany, Aaron, Ashley, Shane, Annie, uh, J Mac Dog, Jamie, and Liam. Thank you all very much. Thanks, guys. Desi. Yes. This is part two of Movie versus Reality Tombstone. I texted Desi last night and I said, this is going to be a three-parter. As this happens sometimes when undertaking such a complicated historical subject. Yeah. There's you a don't lot know. Of, there's a lot of uh, information and context. So to make up for this being a three-parter, next week I'm going to cook Desi a Southwestern feast. <laughs> There's nothing to make up for. Unfortunate. Well, to but the, if you want to just have an excuse, yeah, then sure. I do. I do. Um, yeah, to make up for another week at Tombstone. Sorry to the listeners, you won't be getting the Southwestern Feast, but Desi can tell you about it. I will tell you about it. Did you get inspired? Oh, um, yes. This I've been hungry doing this whole time writing this episode. I was thinking about the barbecue we had at the fair recently. I was like, I really liked that brisket. <laughs> That just thought I was just like, I need to make that again. Yeah. I've been craving barbecue. I've been craving baked beans. I've been craving chili. I've been craving cornbread. I've been craving blue corn tortillas. Oh my God. Fry bread. Yeah. Just like anything Southwestern. Yum. I've been good. I've been craving it. So that's next week. But this week we are getting into part two. My main source for this episode is a book called The Last Gunfight, the real story of the shootout at the OK Corral and how it changed the American West by Jeff Gwynn. Let's get started. So where we left off last week, a sheriff was going, a new sheriff was, was going to be appointed to the newly formed Cochise County, and it was between Wyatt Earp and Johnny Behan. Right. Now, both men had experience in law enforcement and were determined to get the job. At one point, Johnny Behan told Wyatt, look, if I win sheriff, I'll appoint you as under sheriff. So it was kind of like, look, buddy, prepare to lose. Yeah. You'll be my VP. (laughs) Exactly. But when Behan was eventually appointed sheriff, he ended up hiring someone else for the position of undersheriff. Oh, shit. So he reneged on that deal. Yes. And obviously, Wyatt was pissed. Yeah. The man he hired was named Harry Woods. 
Ultimately, Behan felt that Wyatt had betrayed the Democratic Charles Shibble that he had worked under as deputy when he resigned to help the Republican Bob Paul overturn the election. Oh, right. And Behan himself was a Democrat. So he's like, you know what? I may have said that I would hire you, but ultimately I'm loyal yeah. to my guys. And it wouldn't be a good look. We're not looking to cross the aisle. We're not looking to cross the aisle here, and I just frankly don't really like you. Yeah. Given that the Cowboys were Democrats, Behan sought to work with them as much as he could. One of his, de- one of his deputy sheriffs, Billy Breckenridge, asked Curly Bill Brocious to accompany him on collecting taxes from the Cowboys so that there wouldn't be any trouble. So this was a strategy that Johnny Behan was employing, was like, let's try and work with the Cowboys as much as we can. If we get Curly Bill Brocious to come with us on these tax-collecting errands, then maybe the Cowboys will pay their taxes. Right. And Wyatt is on the side of the ranchers. No. no? Wyatt is not on the side oh, of the ranchers. the ranchers. The Republican was, no? No, that's the Democrats. Oh. The ranchers and the cowboys are on the same side. Oh, because they work together. They work together. Okay. And the ranchers and the cowboys are on the are Democrats and Wyatt and the other lawmen are on the Republican side. And they just want to bust people for breaking the law. They're like very this is the party of law and order. Okay, got it. Given that Meanwhile, at the Oriental Saloon, drunken gunfights persisted. It didn't matter that this establishment was one of the fancier places in town. People wanted to have a rootin' tootin' good time. Yeah. They're like... They're not going to stop their rootin' tootin'. Just because it's fancy. No lace tablecloth. They don't care. Mm -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm. In February of 1881, an angry gambler named Charlie Storms drew his gun on one of the dealers at the Oriental who then drew his own gun and shot Storms dead. It, of course, was ruled (laughs) self-defense. Another gunfight broke out the following month. The dealers had become used to this sort of thing. It was basically the cost of doing business. Yeah. Like if you were a poker dealer or a pharaoh dealer, that was another card game they played at these saloons. You had to, it's like, it's like the, um, Occupational hazard. Yeah, it's like being a Waffle House employee. <laughs> like, you've yeah. got to know how to fight. Yeah. Because um, people get mad when they lose. Yeah. And in the Old West, like, they'll just shoot you. Yeah. If they lose. But for owner Milton Joyce, it was too much. And he shut down the gambling at his saloon, and it wouldn't resume until October. He was over it. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to have to, like... Be in a Western movie, just literally. Rooting. No more tooting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, this was a problem for Wyatt Earp, as his only income at this point depended on the gambling earnings at this saloon. Because <laughs> remember, he got a fourth, like a 25% stake in the gambling earnings. Right. So when Milton Joyce shut down gambling at his saloon, he's like, hey, yeah, I lost yeah. the sheriff position. This is all I got, man. This is all I got. Now I'm going to fucking shoot you. (laughs) (laughs) So to make cash, Wyatt spent his time gambling at other saloons in town. That's good. He's like, I'll I'll get, I'll win it back. Mm -hmm. Everyone's afraid of me. Mm. At this point, Wyatt figured the best way to gain recognition and to defeat Johnny Behan in the 1882 sheriff elections would be to prove himself to the local vigilante justice committee. He needed to show that he was a tough-on-cowboy lawman, and that the current law enforcement wasn't doing their job. He would set himself apart from Johnny Behan, who had all but teamed up with the cowboys when he enlisted the help of Curly Bill Brocious to collect taxes. The local paper, The Epitaph, which was run by the Vigilante Justice Committee member John Clum, predictably slammed Sheriff Johnny Behan and his deputies for their collaboration with the cowboys. However, Tombstone's local paper, The Nugget, which was run by Harry Woods, Behan's undersheriff. So coverage was obviously favorable of the sheriff's department in that paper. It's funny how this is still a battle between the left and right today. Yeah. Tough on crime (laughs) and like that kind of stuff. Like they're not tough on crime. Yeah. And obviously the 
Republican Party and the Democrat Party of 1881 was like vastly different right. in a lot of ways than it is like today. I'm not even necessarily thinking of Republican Democrat, but there's there's always like the tough on crime side. Oh yeah, of course. No matter what the party is. Yeah, absolutely. And saying that the other side does nothing. That they don't care about crime. Yes. Whether it's real or imagined yes. crime. But that's like seems like their whole thing is they just like really want to arrest people. And they also beef up the lies about what's really going down or the statistics. A lot of what this episode is about is that, is sort of the politics of crime in Tombstone. Right. So we'll get into that more. Um, Wyatt actually craved a violent cowboy incident that would be great enough to make people see that his approach would be better than mm-hmm. Johnny Behan's. He wanted some like violent incident to happen to be like, look at look what's happening. See? Yeah, look yeah. What, look what's happening. I mean, it is a tale as old as time. Yeah, he wants to prove that Johnny Behan is not fit to be sheriff. And what better way than have some horrible crime happen? Yeah, which is awful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At the end of February, a Pima County judge decided that the sheriff's election decided the sheriff's election would go for Bob Paul. Incumbent Sheriff Charles Shibble filed another appeal and took the case to the Arizona Supreme Court. If you remember last week we talked about this contested election right. between Democrat Charles Shibble and Republican Bob Paul. The Democrats were accused of ballot stuffing with the Cowboys assisting them to get Charles Shibble, uh, the incumbent, reelected. Um, but this, so this was like still going through the appeals process, even though the judge decided it would go to Paul. Meanwhile, Paul was working as a guard for the stage coaches. So while he was like waiting to get in office, yeah, he's like working as one of those guys who rides along on the Wells Fargo stage coaches. Like a security. The security guy. On March 15th, 1881, he traveled on a Wells Fargo stagecoach on a 30-mile trip from Tombstone to Benson. Eight men, including Paul and the cargo, were crammed into the stagecoach. Now, these trips on the stagecoaches to transport valuables were not comfortable. Yeah. I mean, we all remember it's different but kind of similar, like when you learn about the Oregon Trail, how shitty it was to ride in these wagons. No, they look fun. Fun as hell. But yeah. It's but like it, you don't want to sit there for hours. No, it's cramped. Yeah. And like there's no um, shock absorption on these wheels. So you're going over all this unpaved road. You're just fucking bouncing. Your ass is so <laughs> sore and you got chili brewing in your stomach. Yeah. It's a, it's a recipe for disaster. That's why you need the sheriff of shit. <laughs> no. That's you. <laughs> don't, don't shit in the creek. <laughs> Well, as luck would have it, the driver of this stagecoach began complaining of stomach cramps. (gasps) He was like, I'm going to have diarrhea right now. Damn. So he made Bob Paul take over the horses. Like, you need to, I'm going to shit. Did he just stick his ass over the (laughs) side? (laughs) Like, what did he do? He just was in the passenger seat like, oh. So he was just cramping. He was cramping, but it was about to turn into diarrhea. Oh my God, that's stressful. Yeah. Um, At 10 p.m., the stagecoach was approaching a rest stop at Drew's Station, and that's when a masked bandit jumped in front of the stagecoach and shouted for them to stop. Oh my God, imagine getting robbed when you have diarrhea. (laughs) You're about to fucking burst. It's so embarrassing and stressful. You gotta, I would shit, you'd probably shit right then and there. Yeah. Like, I can't hold it anymore. I, that's what I would tell them. I'd be like, take whatever you want, but please, I have diarrhea. (laughs) Please, please let me be. It's already coming out. I'm so scared. <laughs> not now, not here, not this time. Don't wipe your ass on that covered part. You oh. know. <laughs> Bob Paul told the bandit to fuck off. Ooh. Yeah. He's like, I don't have time for this shit. What, my guy's got diarrhea. <laughs> Come on. Give us a break. But then more men jumped out. Oh, shit. This time they were pointing guns at the stagecoach. A shootout ensued. The driver with diarrhea, he was shot and killed. (gasps) He never even got to shoot. (laughs) He died with that diarrhea in him. It might have all come out. Oh, I bet. When it 
when you loosen, you dying, you're dying, you're not even holding back. Right? I know. I think it all came out. Oh man, that's yeah. humiliating. And so were the uh, was one of the other passengers. Bob Paul had no choice but to haul ass out of there on the stagecoach, and it was hard to haul ass out of there on stagecoaches. Yeah. Yeah, faster. He's come like on. Whipping those horses and they're like, God, man, we're tired. We're, come on, our fucking hooves are aching. We just got to the rest stop. <laughs> I'm gonna take off my horseshoes. I'm not gonna <laughs> chew some hay right here. <laughs> he arrived in Contention City an hour later, where he sent a telegraph to Marshall Williams, who was the Wells Fargo agent, to alert him of the situation. Now, the cargo did make it to the destination safely, but two men on this journey were dead. Wait, the robbers didn't even take the cargo? No. What the hell? They just killed two guys, and then Bob Paul was able to haul ass out of there before they could take anything. Oh, damn. So this was a botched robbery. So he's he's really good at his job. Yeah, I guess right? so. Yeah. And the robbers, by the way, were completely in the wind. They were just gone. Bandits. The bandits, yeah. the would be bandits who murdered two people on this stagecoach. But they did leave behind their masks at the scene. Really? Yeah, they left their masks behind. People in Tombstone were rattled by this attack. It was unusual for a holdup to result in murder. There were holdups with mm. these stagecoaches, but rarely did someone get killed. That's like what happens in the saloon. Not on a stagecoach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Usually the bandits made it, made off with valuables and went on their way. The double homicide at Drew's station further galvanized the members of the Vigilante Justice Group, a.k.a. the Citizen Safety Committee. Crime was soaring, they said. Oh. They're like, look what happened to our stagecoach. But who saved the day? Their enemy, Bob. No, Bob's on their side. Oh, he is? He's a Republican. Oh, God damn, I keep getting confused. I know. There's a lot of characters in this story. Okay. So this is good for him because it proves his point. It proves Wyatt's point. It proves the Vigilante Justice Committee. Got it. it also known as the Safety Citizen Safety Committee, there, This would, which is like a, you know, it's run by the mayor of right. the town. He has this committee it's of like citizens who the are annoying concerned. citizens. Yeah, they have their little like town halls and they're like, crime is rampant. I was walking to my mailbox <laughs> and I saw someone shitting in the street. They should go to jail. The children were out playing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this proved the point of everyone who was on the side of the Republican lawmakers and the Republican Safety Committee and against the Cowboys and current Tombstone Sheriff Johnny Behan. What if this, the robbers were like Wyatt and masks? And well, we're going like to get to oh, some okay. theories. <laughs> we're going to get to some theories in this. I guess, I don't, what, what time is it? Can we take a break here? We could take a break here. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. 
Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Now, because U.S. mail traveled aboard these stagecoaches, any robbery or attempted robbery of a stagecoach made it a federal crime. Therefore, U.S. Marshal Virgil Earp teamed up alongside Johnny Behan to investigate this shooting. Oh. Virgil subsequently deputized his brothers, Wyatt and Morgan. Rounding out the posse was Oriental Saloon dealer Bat Masterson and Marshal Williams of Wells Fargo. Bob Paul met up with the crew when they arrived at Drew's station on horseback. Sadly, Bat Masterson had to bounce early because his horse got tired. That's me. Mm. (laughs) The horse. (laughs) I love that horse. I do too. She's a queen. Yeah, absolutely. Three days later, the posse arrested a cowboy at the Redfield Ranch while he was milking a cow. Now, they arrested him because he was milking this cow with guns strapped to his back. Is that a law? Well, (laughs) they just saw, they're like, that guy looks sus. Sus. And the Redfield Ranch was like, they had a tip where they followed some tracks to to this ranch. Um, They're like, this guy knows something. Yeah. Now, the cowboy, whose name was Luther King, admitted to being involved with the attempted robbery. But he stated that it was his three friends who had done the shooting. He was merely standing by guarding their horses. So he was there. Oh. But he was like in the bushes with the horses. I was scared. (laughs) (laughs) I was yellow. (laughs) (laughs) the names of these robbers he said were harry head billy leonard and jim crane king said that his pals were headed to new mexico johnny behan and marshall williams headed back to tombstone with luther king king was put into jail then johnny behan and the rest of the posse set out for new mexico to find these three masked bandits well technically they were unmasked because they left That's their masks right. at the scene but they were they would, those little black ones they might <laughs> <laughs> like a raccoon yeah like the zorro mask yeah um they would be unsuccessful locating these guys. They went all the way to New Mexico on horseback. Yeah, that sounds long. And they couldn't find them. They didn't have GPS. They didn't have cell phone towers. I would have just been like, let's just hang out here and tell everyone we went. It just but, seems so futile. Like I would just be like, let's get some like hatch chili enchiladas. Exactly. And now like, you're talking. Some nopales. Ooh, I love hatch chilies. Mm. Six days later, the prisoner, Luther King, went missing. He was, remember, he was taken to the jail in Tombstone. He got the dog to get him the key. (laughs) Basically. Behan's deputy, Harry Woods, had been left in charge while the posse was on the hunt for these bandits in New Mexico. His main job was to watch King at the jail while Behan left him. What the hell? He's like, this is your one job. Just make sure this guy we just arrested doesn't escape. You had one job. He's the first of that meme. I think so. (laughs) 
But Harry Woods left his cell door unlocked. What? And he escaped. What an idiot. And this guy, Luther King, was never heard from again. Okay. Now, Harry Woods may very well have just been stupid enough to mm. leave the prisoner's cell unlocked, but the anti-cowboy residents of Tombstone assume that he was colluding with the cowboys and helped this guy escape. Oh. Because this is Johnny Behan's deputy. Right. Johnny Behan is colluding with the cowboys. Right. So they think there's like a conspiracy going on here. When Behan got back into town and learned that his deputy had let a prisoner escape, he panicked. This was not good PR for Behan and his deputies. Yes. It's unclear if Behan was involved or the of this rumor that hit Tombstone next, though it did end up being a good distraction for his scandal. Yeah. The rumor around town was that Doc Holliday was among the bandits at the stagecoach shooting. Holliday had at one point been friends with Billy Leonard, one of the named bandits. Also, on the night of the shooting, Doc Holliday had been gone from Tombstone for several hours. He claimed that he was in Charleston for a poker game. This, of course, amounts to circumstantial evidence, but it was enough to fan the flames of this accusation. But who whose side is Doc Holliday on in all of this? He's friends with the Wyatt Earp and the okay, brothers. So, so he's friends with the non-cowboy people. Yeah, even though, look, They're I mentioned kind of like I mentioned briefly before, all these guys are criminals. Yeah. Even the law and order types. <laughs> yeah. Tale as old as time. Like Wyatt Earp, if you look at his life before Tombstone, this guy's been to jail. He's he does lots of crimes. They're all just trying to figure out how to get power. It's it doesn't all, matter. And it's or, in order to create more crime for themselves like or have more opportunity. all about power. Yeah. I was just curious where Doc was sidewise. Well, Doc, yeah, he's on the side of the Earps because he's been friends with them for right, a right. long time. He's not, a, he's not in law enforcement. He's like a professional gambler and professional alcoholic. But that would be... That would sort of be sort of proof that the Earps were in on making this crime happen if yes. he was involved with the robbery. So even though Johnny Behan was currently undergoing this bad, embarrassing scandal because the depu- his deputy let this prisoner escape, he was glad that suddenly Doc Holliday was being accused because like, well, ah, look at the Earps friend. Do we really know what happened Maybe here? the yeah. Earps set this yeah, up exactly. to set me up. Got it. Now, like I said, this, of course, all amounts to circumstantial evidence, but people love hot goss. We love hot goss. And back then, circumstantial evidence was pretty much what we had. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, didn't have, they didn't have a lot of uh, high-tech forensic no. evidence. Mm-mm. Even the local paper, The Nugget, speculated on the rumor, saying that it wasn't far-fetched that someone like Doc Holliday could have done something like this. They're like, I mean, look at the guy. He's super hot. (laughs) Thinks he can get away with with anything. He's hot. He's a drunk. He's messy. He's almost dead. Mm. So what does he have to lose? (laughs) Exactly. That's when chatter about the Earps' possible involvement began, as Doc was good friends with the brothers. The rumor mill suggested that Marshall Williams, who's the agent at Wells Fargo, may also be involved. And he would have known just how much money was being transported on that stagecoach. So people right. were like, yeah, this, the, guy, the, the guy who works for Wells Fargo, he told them $26,000 is aboard this stagecoach. Right. Two of the Earps, Morgan and Wyatt, had both worked as guards on stagecoaches, and they would be familiar with the process and how to rob one. Right. So people are putting the pieces together. Except this robbery was botched. All of the money, which was $26,000, made it safely to the destination. And why would Wyatt, someone who was so anti-cowboy, collaborate with them now? It was a dumb rumor, but it surely helped further cement in the minds of cowboys and ranchers that the Earps sucked. But I don't necessarily think that the the fact that it was botched means it wasn't them because they could have botched something they were planning too, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of holes in the rumor. Yes, but it seems like there's just a lot of holes in general in this, mm. like what happened, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty cut and dry that it was these three cowboys who did it. 
But do we even know those cowboys exist? Yes. So we do. They come back later. Oh, okay. Okay. Just, I was just like, he just gave us names. Harry Head. That doesn't even sound real. <laughs> <laughs> he was it was the Kaiser Soze. He just looked at the hair on his head and said, Harry Head. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. Further adding to the growing animosity between Johnny Behan and the Earps was the fact that Behan didn't pay the brothers a stipend for their time tracking down the bandits. Oh. He argued that they weren't deputized by him. They were deputized by Virgil, their brother, who was a deputy U.S. marshal, so they should take their payment up with the federal government. I think he's got a point. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, Wells Fargo paid the brothers for their time. Now, Wells Fargo always took great lengths to maintain their reputation, insuring the money on board their stagecoaches and employing their own officers to pursue robbers. Officers were always compensated for their efforts in capturing these robbers. Obviously, the stagecoach shooting at Drew's Point was a big deal for the company, and a reward of $1,200 per bandit captured was offered. Ooh. This large reward incentivized every law officer in Arizona and New Mexico to hunt these men down because they wanted that money. It's funny that law enforcement back then would be allowed to chase a reward, mm. right? It's really, <laughs> like, it just yeah. seems like it's pretty corrupt. It's pretty openly corrupt. Yeah. Following the shooting, Tombstone Mayor John Clum cracked down on crime. He ordered that anyone engaging in riots, public indecency, brawling, use of foul language, or disturbing the peace should be arrested and taken to jail. It's the Old West. He doesn't want it. No cursing? He he wants to be in Victorian era uh, England. Yeah. He doesn't want to be here. This is not going to work. He should move. In addition to this new... Law, a weapons law was enacted. So no one, unless they had a permit, was allowed to carry a weapon, including a knife in Tombstone. (laughs) Travelers coming through the town had to check their guns at the hotels. Damn, they have stricter gun laws than we do. On June 22nd, 1881, it was a sweltering day in Tombstone. It wasn't uncommon for scorching weather to hit the region in the spring and early summer. On this day, one of the saloons had rolled a barrel of bad whiskey out into the street to be disposed. One of the men tasked with rolling the large barrel lit a cigarette, which which sent a spark into the bunghole of the barrel. The bunghole? That's really what it's called? Yes. (laughs) And then we move that over to mean other holes? (laughs) That's the official term for that little spout. That cute little hole. It's a bunghole. It's a bunghole. What an idiot, though, this guy is. Yeah, he's like, I want to have a smoke. Got to let it right now. Nothing, not not this incendiary barrel full of whiskey near me. On this record hot day. With an open bunghole. (laughs) (laughs) A spark went right in the bunghole. What are the chances? Well, after the spark went into the bunghole, the barrel exploded. Damn. And sent fire splashing all over the nearest businesses. That And that's all wood. It's, <laughs> that is some dry-ass wood. There's like hay everywhere. There's, it is, these old West towns were like, I mean, it's a fire hazard. You could literally burn a whole town down with one thing, with yeah. one spark. Even without a spark, just if it's a hot enough day. Yeah. It's like, I'm tired, and it just catches fire. You rub a piece of wood too hard. Right. <laughs> you walk, you scuffle your feet too hard on the, the deck of a building. And you sit down too fast, and the chair light's on fire. So everything's on fire. Fire is like the, the nearest built businesses. They're all erupting in flames at this point. Yeah. Now, ironically, the mayor happened to be out of town shopping for a fire engine for the town when this happened. that is ironic. He's like, it's been a hot spring and summer. We better get a fire engine. Now, I looked up fire engines to see because I'm like, (laughs) well, they didn't have like a motor. No, I was just thinking about it. You see sometimes in the movies where they pull out this like tank of water. It's basically, (laughs) it's basically a cart drawn by horses with like hoses. Yeah. 
It's it's really you're like you're really not going to get much done with that. Mm. But he's shopping for one. He must have been so upset when he came back into town. He's like, I was gone for two days. <laughs> he pulls up proud with it and yeah. sees a cinder still smoking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what happened? Though no one was hurt, over 60 businesses were destroyed. The town panicked. By this time, the town's chief of police, Ben Sippy, had skipped town after he got into some financial trouble, and so Virgil Earp was appointed his temporary replacement. Virgil assembled a posse, which would of course include his brothers, to help keep the town in order after the fire. Because people are losing it. Yeah. They're running around. They're worried that like a riot's going to break out. There's nowhere for these people to go. Probably. Yeah. And then there were like these lot jumpers coming into town trying to claim businesses that didn't belong to them. Not the lot jumpers. <laughs> the lot jumpers are coming. <laughs> I like that they're just going to come in and be like, that's mine. Yeah. Pro- prove it. That's yeah, your, your deeds in the, in the fire. But where's, and they have a fake deed. Oh, I don't know. This is, look, this is the fucking Wild West. <laughs> it's the Wild West. People could just do anything back then. You just had to have the balls. Mm. So the Earp boys are trying to keep everything under control. And they did such a good job that Virgil was permanently hired as chief of police. They're like, ah, forget Ben Sippy. Yeah. He ran off. Well, that's a good point. He also was found to have like seri- done some financial crimes. Oh. So it was like lucky that they had Virgil. Virgil would still maintain his role as deputy U.S. marshal. Virgil abided by tough on crime, by the tough on crime ethos of the Citizen Safety Committee, making forty-eight arrests that month, and then sixty arrests in the month month of July. I like that back then you can just have two jobs, like mm-hmm. law enforcement jobs that are completely different. Well, I mean, the town mayor was also the head of the newspaper. <laughs> That's illegal. That seems like a conflict of interest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Animosity toward the cowboys grew, and Johnny Behan feared his days as sheriff were numbered, given that a cowboy bandit had escaped jail on his watch. He walked a tightrope with maintaining relations with the ranchers and cowboys who liked him, and with placating the citizen safety committee who had so much influence over the town. In early July, Doc Holliday's girlfriend, Kate Elder, also known as Big Nose Kate, had spent the day drinking at a local saloon after she got into an argument with Holliday. Do we have a picture of her? Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> I'll post it on our Instagram this know. week. No, but they really called her Big Nose Kate. I mean, God bless her. God. I'd be like, no. <laughs> Come up with another nickname. Any big ass Kate? Big ass I'll Kate take, is fine. I'll take big ass Kate. Yeah. Not big nose Kate. The following day, the local paper, The Nugget, reported that Kate had signed an affidavit stating that Holiday was involved in the stagecoach shooting. A warrant was put out for Holiday's arrest. This was a best-of-both-worlds situation for Johnny Behan. He would please the safety committee by arresting a criminal while not antagonizing the cowboys and the ranchers because Doc Holiday, after all, wasn't affiliated with them. Hmm. He was, of course, close with Wyatt Earp, so... Yeah, that's a win-win. He can make an arrest, which this citizen safety committee, they love arrests. They love yeah. just, quote-unquote, justice. And and he can stick it to the Earps, which in turn makes the cowboys happy. Yeah. But the Earps probably mad. <laughs> he's going to make the Earps mad, but he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck about the Earps. Unfortunately... Kate herself was arrested the very next day for public intoxication, so her credibility was destroyed. She basically made this false confession while she was drunk and mad at her boyfriend. Oh. So the charges against Doc Holliday were dropped. The district attorney himself found no evidence to suggest that Holliday was in any way connected to the shooting. The pro-cowboy paper The Nugget, which had just gleefully reported on the warrant of Doc Holliday, was now saying, actually, it's really stupid that anyone trusted the word of a drunk woman. (gasps) So they're doing that thing where the media doesn't acknowledge its mistake. And they're like, actually, we we said something different. Yeah. Who would, why would someone take her word for it? 
I like how she's not allowed to be a drunk, but they all are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Adding insult to injury, Johnny Behan's relationship with Josephine Marcus was crumbling. Oh, they're still... I thought it crumbled. No, it didn't crumble, even though she was getting irritated with him because he wouldn't set a date for their marriage. Okay. Between lagging on getting married and his infidelity, which he cheated on her a lot, Josephine said, to hell with you, I'm going back to San Francisco. Her parents sent her some money to get out of town, but Johnny was able to convince her to stay and invest the money she got from her parents on a new home for the two of them. Mm. She agreed, but it was the same old shit as before with Johnny. He didn't change. So she finally broke up with him for good. The best thing to do, she thought, would be to get with his number one rival, who also happened to be very hot, Wyatt Earp. Ooh, good job. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately for Josephine, Wyatt was married. It's unclear if Josephine and Wyatt hooked up while they were both living in Tombstone, but their relationship would become public the following year when they were both living in San Francisco. So they did hook up eventually. Yeah. Josephine Marcus took great pains to scrub certain details of her life, though it's commonly agreed upon that she was up to some scandalous activities. It had been months since the stagecoach shooting, and the three would-be robbers were still at large. This was bad for Johnny Behan, who Tombstone residents felt had botched this investigation. At this time, Wyatt made it his mission to catch these fugitives, hoping it would give him the best chance at unseating Behan in the November election for sheriff. Wyatt, after all, had free time to pursue the men, whereas Behan did not because he had other responsibilities to attend to as sheriff. Wyatt had a bold plan. He decided he needed bait to capture these fugitives, and the best bait would be a cowboy or a rancher, someone who was friendly with these bandits. Now, obviously, Wyatt was no friend of the cowboys, so when he asked ranchers Ike Clanton, Billy McGlory, and the cowboy Joe Hill to help lure the fugitives out, he had to sweeten the deal. He told them about the reward money offered by Wells Fargo for the capture of the men. Wyatt said he had no interest in the money. He just wanted to boost his image ahead of the election. Wyatt would also keep their involvement to himself. Nobody would know that they were collaborating with law enforcement. Wyatt said he needed Clanton, McLaurie, and Hill to tip the fugitives off to a new Wells Fargo stagecoach carrying valuable cargo and offer the men the McLaurie Ranch as a meeting point. Then, he said, when the fugitives arrived at the ranch, he would capture them. One concern of Ike Clanton was that there might be a shootout during this arrest, resulting in the deaths of the fugitive. But that didn't matter to Wells Fargo. They were like, we don't care if you murder these guys. Look on the poster, wanted dead or alive. (laughs) (laughs) Wells Fargo wasn't paying money to get these guys back alive. No. They just were like, get them. Yeah. They they tried to steal our, our stagecoach. Yeah. So, what's his name? Wyatt was like, that ain't no problem. That ain't no problem. Yeah. Remember that guy? Yeah. <laughs> I forget his name. But I clanned him was like, okay, we'll do it. The cowboy Joe Hill left on horseback for New Mexico to find the fugitives and alert them to a stagecoach that, that they could rob in Cochise County and lure them to the McClory Ranch. But when he got to New Mexico, he learned that two of the fugitives, Billy Leonard and Harry Head, were dead. (gasps) Harry dead. He was now Harry dead. (laughs) Two brothers in New Mexico had shot the fugitives and were now set to collect two-thirds of the reward money for themselves. Damn. So that, sort of like in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, when that last golden ticket. Yeah. That last golden ticket goes out to that guy. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for them, the two brothers were then killed by some angry cowboys before they could collect. Oh my God. So I guess the reward money for the two thirds of the guys went to no one. It doesn't transfer to the new killers. (laughs) (laughs) Bad news for Wyatt, whose whole campaign for sheriff hinged on catching these guys. Ugh. To make matters worse, later that summer, Ike Clanton became aware of the fact that Wyatt had shared this plan with other people. Remember, he had said, I won't tell anyone we're collaborating together. Yeah. I'll give you the money. I'll be real quiet. 
Wyatt had shared this information with Marshall Williams, who then drunkenly approached <laughs> Clanton one day and was like, hey, buddy, I know about the deal. And I think any friend of Wyatt is a friend of mine. You can't trust these people with secrets. They're all drunks. They're, <laughs> They're all drunks and gossips. Yeah. <laughs> these guys are such gossips. So Clanton was furious. The last thing he needed was for his fellow ranchers and his cowboy friends to know that he had collaborated with the Earps to mm. capture, capture these fugitives, who, by the way, they were friendly with, these yeah. guys. So he was like already taking a risk to sell out these bandits. You're a rat, McClanton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. During July and August of 1881, heavy rains flooded the roads going into Tombstone, Mm. halting not only the transport of mail, but also food supplies. The overall mood in the town was one of irritation. (laughs) I bet they were really annoyed because the town burned down when it was too dry, and then like a month later it starts pouring rain. Yeah, and it's like, where's the food? Yeah, (laughs) I'm fucking hungry. The food was not good. They were like not, because they're used used to at this point eating like, fancy meals because they're making Tombstone this like cosmopolitan right. city. And they're like, we haven't had steak in a week. Yeah. <laughs> where's the beef? Yeah. <laughs> so during this time, tensions between the smugglers coming in from Mexico and the cowboys who robbed them reached a boi- boiling point. After four smugglers wound up dead at the hands of the American cowboys, the Mexican government became pissed and crossing the border was now going to be more difficult. The anti-cowboy tombstone paper, The Epitaph, put aside their racism towards Mexicans for one moment just to condemn the cowboys for their crimes. (laughs) This was, of course, part of the paper's larger efforts to push a law and order society free from cowboys. They're like, look, we we don't like the the Mexicans, but we really don't like the cowboys. Yeah. Yeah, we're picking sides. And they were like, it's better for us politically... To rail against these cows. Look, they're doing crimes. Yeah. They're still doing crimes. On the night of August 13th, Newman Clanton, who's the father of the Clanton boys, settled in for the night in Guadalupe Canyon with his cowboy pals. Among them was the stagecoach shooting fugitive Jim Crane. So the one guy. The last one. The last one. At their campsite, which was on the Mexico, Arizona, and New Mexico border, was a herd of cattle. It's debated whether it was stolen cattle from Mexico. That night, a group of Mexican soldiers descended on the camp, guns drawn, and began firing. Five of the seven men at the campsite were killed, including Newman Clanton. Oh, and the final fugitive. He was killed too? Yeah. (laughs) They lost all the money. They lost all the money. The ambush was apparently in response to a recent Sonora raid and murder enacted by American cowboys. Many of the anti-cowboy people in Cochise County were happy about it. They wanted the cowboys to take take it as a message that crime had consequences. Like, well, look what happened to you guys. Yeah, you got You got ambushed. Wyatt was bummed because the murder of Jim Crane meant the last of the fugitives was dead and he would get no glory in capturing any of them. It was back to the drawing board for Wyatt. Mm. He was determined. I have to unseat this guy. Yeah. He's like, I need a good perp walk. He needs it. As for Newman Clanton's son, Ike, he was now free to go buck wild without his father breathing down his neck. Yes, the family had participated in cattle rustling and ballot box stuffing together, but Ike Clanton wouldn't have his dad telling him that he was causing a scene with his drunkenness and foolish behavior. It's a bittersweet moment when my dad got killed. (laughs) (laughs) On one hand, he's my pops. On the other hand, he's a party pooper. Won't be nagging me all the time about my drinking. (laughs) (laughs) That was basically the gist of it. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mayor John Clum presided over a town meeting to discuss the perceived threats to Tombstone. (laughs) The, (laughs) The meeting came up with an armed militia called the Tombstone Rangers. I think they were really inspired by the Texas Rangers. It's like the low-budget version. It's the budget Texas Rangers. Um, They would be tasked with shooting down any cowboy or Apache Indian who threatened the town safety. 
I'm starting to think these guys are just hungry for blood and killing people. This is a great example of why men, you can, you can easily say, wow, men are just fucking idiots. Like, mm. look at all this drama. Wow. They're not causing. all men, Desi. Not, not all men. men. But look at, this is like proves the point <laughs> when they're all in charge. It's not any less emotional or dramatic. It's like worse. Every gender is an emotional mess. That's, That's true. That's the point. Yes. That is the point. Yes, and, absolutely. And these, these men are acting purely on emotions. They've got lots of them. They don't have any reason anymore except for they got to win. They got to win. And they don't care about reducing crime because they're killing people too. Yeah. They're all criminals. So acting Arizona Territory Governor John Gosper traveled to Tombstone soon after. The official governor of the territory, John Fremont, had basically abandoned the job, and Gosper was looking to make the necessary allies to secure the permanent governor position. So he offered the Tombstone Rangers firearms and horses. Mm. Virgil Earp, a by-the-book lawman, privately opposed the formation of a citizen-run militia, but he kept his mouth shut because he didn't want to piss off these guys. To rancher Frank McClory, there was no difference between lawmen like Virgil and the vigilantes. Both wanted the cowboys dead or arrested. When McClory confronted Virgil about the formation of the Tombstone Rangers, Virgil told him that actually me and my brothers had no intention of killing anyone. In fact, I was the one who whisked curly Bill Brocious off to safety when an armed mob threatened his life after the shooting of the marshal, Fred White. But Frank didn't care or believe him. As far as he and all the other ranchers and cowboys were, co- were concerned, these people wanted them dead. I mean, it's true. <laughs> yeah, and that is where we will leave off until next week. when we, we, we will get to the shooting at the OK Corral next week, I promise. Okay. Where's the OK Corral? Is in it Tombstone? in Tombstone? Yeah. Is it, what is it? <laughs> It's a corral. What's a corral? Is it a saloon? It's like a... I thought it was where horses... Okay, so that's what I thought too. I'm going to learn next week. I just didn't know why it was called the OK Corral. (laughs) Because that sounds more like a restaurant name. (laughs) (laughs) I actually read about why it was called the OK Corral, but... I forgot. Okay, we'll learn next week. Yeah, I actually do know like the name of it. It's kind of a cutesy story. Okay. Cool. I'm looking forward to the conclusion. Yeah. It, it all, it gets real violent. I bet. It's already been pretty violent. It's been pretty violent. These guys are mad at each other. This feud is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like it truly is. It's really dumb. It's really dumb. Just the way it's escalated yeah. is just insane. I think. And none of them are good people. None of these people are good people. Well, and at some point for all of them, it just became about winning yeah. over anything else. Yeah. And now they're doing everything they can to get that to happen, even if it's committing more crimes. Right. Yeah. Uh, or making things worse. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll see who dies and we'll, who lives. We'll see who dies and who <laughs> lives. Tune in next week for part three, the final chapter of Tombstone. See ya. See See you then. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.